Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Hello and welcome to the I Could Never Do That podcast. I'm Carrie Barrett, and these are the stories of people who have gone into the arena and fought hard to achieve the unthinkable in spite of the fact that, yes, sometimes they are scared and do have some insecurities. Are you ready to go in? It's my hope that after hearing some of these interviews with thought leaders and artists, athletes, musicians, and entrepreneurs, that maybe you too will be able to go from, I could never do that, to, you know what? Maybe I can. Well, here's a conversation I never thought I'd have. On June 15th, 2022, just five months ago, one of my longest and dearest friends, Lisa Diamond, suffered a stroke at age 48. There were no warning signs, no acute trauma, not even a hint that this would happen when it did. In fact, she was in the middle of a massage, for crying out loud. So today, for the first time, Lisa gives us a play-by-play of what happened in those moments, an hour and 43 minutes, to be exact, from the time that she suffered the stroke to when they wheeled her out of the OR. So today, she not only talks about what happened, but she also discusses the repercussions of this event, both physically and emotionally. And obviously, there is lots of processing that is ongoing, which is why she wanted to finally open up and actually start talking about it. So if you're struggling in life right now with health, career, relationship, Lisa is an open book and a wonderful resource And she invites anyone to reach out to her at any time. Because by talking about these difficult moments in life, we can begin to move through them and hopefully extract some sort of meaning and purpose. Please welcome Lisa Diamond. So Smurf, Lisa, Lisa Diamond, you and I, <laughs> you and I have known each other for, I mean, what, almost 40 years? Something like that. Way too long. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we have had some doozy conversations in the decades that we've known each other, like over kitchen tables, over bars, at restaurants. Like we've had some really... Uh, on race courses, we've had some come to Jesus conversations. <laughs> when I was ready to give up and say, fuck that hell. God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, my friends. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's a podcast. You're allowed to say whatever you want. <laughs> but did you ever think that we would uh, get together on Zoom to have this conversation? Well, probably not. Not at this age. No, never. No, no. So you shared like a week and a half or so ago, you shared recently on Facebook, a three minute or so video about something that happened to you this summer. And you at the age of 48, 48 years old on the massage table, having, you know, the best day at that point, you had a stroke while you were on that table and you shared what happened in real time. And so I would like to go through that again and maybe expand, ask some questions about what happened to you that day and, and then extract some of the lessons and takeaways, if there are any, from that experience that you're carrying with you now. Clearly, you are here. You're with us. Yep. All is well. And um now the next questions become, how do I avoid this from happening again? Or can I, I guess, is a bigger question. And how can I help others in their journeys and in their struggles? So first of all, tell me what happened. And I might interrupt you if you don't, you know, as I, as I think of questions. Of course, of course. So it was Wednesday, June 15th. And the day started just like any other day. And to be honest with you, I had just started a new job. I was day eight on a new job. So I'd gotten up and I'd gone to the office because we were back in the office. And because I was in a new job, I was going into the office every day. And it was interesting because that day, 
our air conditioning was not working in the office. So I actually came home to work for the day and I had scheduled a massage for late afternoon, early evening. So I left and went to the massage and my husband and my kids were home and I said goodbye to them. I said, Hey, I'm going to go get my massage. I'll be home. It's a 90 minute massage. I'll be home in a couple of hours. See you guys later. So I go and I've been going to the same massage therapist for like 10 years. So, you know, she and I, sometimes we talk most of the time we don't, but for some reason that day, I don't know if we had a lot to catch up on, but we were literally talking the entire 45 minutes, Mm. which is very unusual for us. Mm -hmm. So halfway through, she tells me it's time to turn over. So I, you know, get up on my right side and go to turn over and my right side completely gave out on me. And I looked down and I have no other way to describe it, but my right hand literally looked alien to me. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, what the hell? Like, what is going on? And she says, Are you okay? And I go to answer her and I not like I can't speak. And she says, Are you says to me, are you okay? And again, I can't speak. She says, do you want some water? Again, I can't speak. And she's like, were you comprehending when she was asking these questions? Like in your brain, they were making sense, but you just couldn't. Absolutely. But I couldn't, nothing was coming out. No words were coming out. And any pain associated with this sensation? No, uh-uh. no, not at all. And it was interesting because I had had a headache for like a couple of days leading up to that, but that's not unusual for me because I'm a migraine sufferer. So like, that was not like, it was nothing out of the ordinary at all. And, um, so she flips on the light, she opens the door, she calls out and she tells them to call 911 and she goes next door to Laura, who's the esthetician next to her. And she says, Hey, Laura, I need some help with something in my room. Can you come help me? So, Laura comes over thinking like something fell off the wall, something like that. She comes in, she takes one look at me, and she goes, Oh my goodness. And she's like, um, she, I mean, this was like such fast thinking on everybody's part because Laura says, My next client actually happens to be a physician. Let me go get her. Gosh. And were you at this point, were you like lying back down on the on the massage table? Or I was. I was sort of. So I was sort of cattywampus. I was sort of half on my side, half on my stomach at that point, because I didn't really make it all the way over. Mm-hmm. And I just remember I kept trying to lift my head and my head literally felt like it weighed a thousand pounds. Like I just couldn't really like lift my head off the table. So the physician comes in and she asked me two or three questions, if I remember correctly. And she said, she's having a stroke. And I remember just laying there thinking, what the what? Like, what? Like, what is going on? And then uh, the paramedics got there. And fast forward to like two weeks later, I went and had another massage. And Deanna was filling me in on her interpret or her side of the equation. Yes. Yes. She said that the ambulance actually got there within like three and a half or four minutes. She said they were there like lickety split. And so they came in, the paramedics asked me again, two or three questions. And he said, she's definitely having a stroke. We need to transport her immediately. So they, again, so then they're trying to, tra- they're trying to move me from the massage table to the gurney. And I'm, you know, not exactly dressed. So they're trying to, Oh, that's right. Yes. That's right. You're having a massage. Yeah. Whatever. And I'm like, Deanna was telling me, she's like, I was trying to keep you covered. I'm like, at that point, who cares? Oh my God. That made me laugh. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) You're like, I don't want to give anybody else a stroke. (laughs) Just put some clothes on me. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about the rest of y'all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so so again you know just like no pain at this point just disassociation with what's actually happening I assume that you weren't in any like panic mode upon hearing she's having a stroke it was just utter confusion and disassociation it was more confusion and yes like I 
I don't think I said this when I recorded the video, but I wrote it when I journaled out what happened that day that I literally felt like I was having an outer body experience. Like I was literally watching what was happening and like I wasn't really there, but it was happening to me, if that makes sense. Like it was. I think it can only make sense if you go through it. Yeah. I mean, it was the most. It was honestly the strangest thing. And actually, I'm very grateful that Deanna does something that I'm not sure that most massage therapists or personal trainers or people that are in that type of business do. But she actually collects a medical history and personal contact, emergency contact information that she keeps in a binder for each of her clients. And she said that she was so grateful that she had that that day because she was able to call Greg while they were loading me into the ambulance and tell tell him that he needed to meet me, that he needed to meet the squad at Riverside. And she was able to tell the paramedics all the medications I was currently taking. That is a a blue ribbon for Deanna. I mean, how amazing is that? Again, I think even for therapists or offices that even have that information, the fact that she went and used it right away, it didn't hesitate, didn't, didn't get flustered in this, in this process. And, um, yeah. I mean, she actually was able to hand them my paper and she was like, here, just take this with you. Mm. So, uh, b- before we move on with the story, yeah. just, could you, actually just tell me in lay person's terms, what is a stroke? What's happening in your body? So essentially there was a blood clot in the brain that was basically cutting off circulation to the part of my brain that was give, that was sending neurons to the feeling so that I could feel, move and speak essentially. Mm-hmm. So it was blocked with this clot. It was completely blocked. And there's no rhyme or reason on when that clot can manifest, manifest itself, or are there triggering factors like stress of a new job? Or I, I, you know, I don't want it. It's like not anything that the massage therapist was doing that like pushes it along. Oh my God. No, no, no. But are there other, like, are there things that Mm, you know, that can cause it to happen in an instance like that. So interestingly enough, they have determined that my particular stroke is one that they do not know the cause of. However, there is some speculation because I did have COVID um, Memorial Day weekend. So I tested positive for COVID on May 29th, May 30th. And the stroke happened June 15th. There are, there is data available that says that COVID can cause stroke in young people such as myself. However, again, there's not a whole lot of data available. Sure. Sure. I would be an outlier because the data that is available says that stroke typically happens within three to five days of onset of symptoms. I was 15 days out. So, however, when I was in the hospital, a gentleman did come in and ask me if he could draw blood to enter into a study for them to study my blood to determine if they could eventually determine the cause of the stroke. Again, This is nothing that I will ever have access to. But I said, of course, yes, if I could provide data to help somebody else further down the line, of course, I'd be happy to. So, um, you know, they don't know what caused it. So and is there any hereditary predisposition in either of your families? I mean, my paternal grandfather basically died of a massive stroke, but yeah. Yeah, that's really mm, too far down the lineage to really be a thing. But yeah, yeah. um, Uh, So you get to the hospital and (laughs) hopefully they got some clothes on you at this point. (laughs) (laughs) No, they didn't. But that's another story. But uh, so 
Okay, so I have to tell you the best part of the whole story. So I say to Greg, after everything's all said and done, I go, you want to know the coolest part? And he was like, what? I was like, I got to ride in the ambulance with the lights and sirens on all the way to Riverside from Dublin. (laughs) (laughs) Which to those of you listening aren't familiar, that's a whole 20 minute ride. Yeah, it's not a short ride. With the lights and sirens on in the ambulance. Yes. That's what you took away from this. I'm like, yes, isn't that super cool? (laughs) (laughs) That's what my brother always used to say about about when you do a race, like a, you know, a half marathon or whatever, it's like, you know, traffic is only going to stop for you two times in your life, like during a race or at your funeral procession. So like, just go, just take it. Or apparently when you're in the middle of a stroke. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the ambulance ride was very interesting because, so they were tending to me and the one paramedic kept asking me questions like the whole time. And I'm like, I am desperate to try to answer him and I am desperately trying to talk and nothing is coming out. And I am desperately trying to lift my head. And it feels like my head, like I said, weighs a thousand pounds. And the whole time I'm trying to figure out where my right hand is, like where my right arm is. And I keep thinking it's on my stomach, like it's resting, but like I look and it's not there and I have no idea where it is. And Again, it's like this, it's like I'm there, but it's happening to me, but it's not really happening to me. It's like the strangest thing. And then we get to Riverside and they get me out of the ambulance and they immediately take me in and they do a CT scan and they give me the clot busting drug and they start to wheel me out. And then they stop and they wheel me back in and they put me back in the CT machine. And then they're like, okay. They're like, well, we can't wait. Well, I didn't know they said this at the time, but afterwards they they determined they couldn't wait for the clot busting drug to take effect. So they decided to wheel me up to start prepping me for a procedure. And when they were prepping me for the procedure, I could hear, I could hear everybody talking about me all around me, like everything. Like I could hear the doctor on the phone, basically asking Greg's permission to do the procedure. And I could hear them talking about me and then I could hear them prepping me. You know, they're like, so speaking of clothes, they're like, (laughs) I have nothing on except underwear. And they're like, can we remove your underwear? I'm like, well, at this point, do I really have any choice at this point? You're about to, you're about to like bust a clot in my head. Last thing I'm worried worried about is my pubic hair. So go for it. So, um, so then they basically went up with a scope through my groin with a stint on the end Hmm. and went up to the clot was in the left side of my brain and they went up and basically attached the stint and then pulled the clot out. And I could feel the second that he started to pull the clot out for two reasons. One, I started to get the feeling back in my fingers and two, the whole left side of my face got really, really hot and it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my whole life. Like I was I mean, I was like whimpering and pain and crying and, but it only lasted for a minute or two. I feel like, like it didn't last long. And then he finished the procedure and he looks at me. He's like, okay, we're finished. What's your name? And I said, Lisa Diamond. And he goes, okay, she's good. And he literally gets up, takes his gloves off and walks out. He's like, drop the mic. I'm like, what? (laughs) What? Like all better oil change. (laughs) That's sort of what it felt like. (laughs) You and 3000 miles. Um, Okay. All right. Uh, So Greg and you know, he gets there. I'm sure your kids show up with him uh, because everyone's just confused. Everyone's just got to be in the state of absolute confusion. 
Yeah. So Deanna called him and said, basically, she said, Lisa's non-responsive. The ambulance is here and they're transporting her to Riverside. You need to meet her down there. And he was just like, um, okay, what does that mean exactly? Um, and he, so he, the kids were upstairs and he went upstairs and he was like, Hey, so something happened to mom at her massage. We've got to meet her at Riverside. So, um, they get in the car and they come down to Riverside. They actually got there about the same time as the ambulance and they were checking in. And he said, the doctor called him and said that they gave me the clot busting drug. They were going to kind of see how that did. And that then they, he would call him back or whatever. So he hangs up like literally he's just finishing checking in. The doctor calls him back and he says, well, actually we can't wait for that we need to do this procedure. Do we have your permission? And Greg was like, um, and he said, basically, if we do the procedure, uh, what did he say? Something about if there's a 90%. If we do the procedure, there's a 90% chance everything will be good. If we don't do the procedure, there's a 70% chance it will be really bad. Oh, those aren't odds that you want to hear. Right. So Greg was like, well, yes, of course, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, Um, so then they escorted them upstairs to like the family waiting area. And he said, then the doctor comes out. So the doctor literally said like, I don't know, like four sentences to him and was like, okay, you can meet her upstairs in recovery up in the ICU. She'll be up. She'll be ready in a few minutes. And then they came in and it's like, I left and I was perfectly fine. They come in to see me in recovery and ICU and I'm perfectly fine. Yeah, it's almost something like happened. Had a little, yeah. <laughs> a whole lot of shit happened in between. <laughs> it wasn't just a fainting spell. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mommy, mommy wasn't dehydrated. Um, it was a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah. This is so trippy. Like the whole thing feels like a drug trip. It happened. You know, you're describing it of how you're there, but you're not there. It feels like you're floating and you're watching it happen. It's happening to you. And there's no pain, but just, just this odd confusion that's, that's going on. The part that really kind of freaks me out is that you could hear everything that they were saying about prepping you Mm -hmm. and him calling Greg and just knowing that there is chaos ensuing all around you and you can't do a thing about it. Yep. Yep. I literally was just laying there. And like, that is the weirdest part about the whole thing that I was 100% coherent the entire time. Like never once did I lose consciousness. Never once was I not comprehending what was going on around me. That to me is the, that is the the, um, the oddest part of all of it. And that I don't, odd is not the right word. I'm, I'm not finding the word I want to use right now, but you know, I've read, and I, as I'm sure you have now, like Jill Bolte Taylor's book called a stroke of insight. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with I'm that. Not, book. Uh-uh. Oh yeah. She was, uh, her, her name's Jill Bolte Taylor. And I believe she was like a neuroscientist in real life. Okay. And woke up one morning at her house and started to have a stroke. Mm. And, and as somebody who studies the brain, she knew what was happening, but much like you, she was like, I just, I, I need to get to the phone to call nine one one because I know that this is happening, but I can't, I can't do anything. I can't form sentences. And she describes her stroke uh, very similarly to you. But she also describes this like beautiful silence that she had, like where there was that space in between the chaos of real life and then this odd dream state that you're in where you can't really process everything. Mm-hmm. She was like, she described it as like one of the most peaceful places that she's ever experienced. But and so did you experience, would you would you describe it as peace? Um Interestingly enough, I think I probably would because I what I mean, it was very strangely, yes, because I couldn't really. Um, ironically, I would never have said that until you just said that. But yes, I could see how she would say that because you can't 
move. You can't communicate. You literally can just be. That's it. That's it. That was, that was kind of what she was saying that it was just really at no time in our lives. Are we fully present because we're always thinking about the past or worrying about the future. And in that moment, you had no choice, right? You had to be fully present. Um, Yes. Something to think about. <laughs> yeah. That's very interesting. Like I never would have put, but yes, I literally had no choice, but to just be. Mm. Now, how long were you in the hospital? Two days. Okay. Um, oh, you mean they didn't just kick you out when he, when the surgeon like took his gloves off and <laughs> like put his hands up in the air. My job here is done. <laughs> No, um, no. So I was in recovery. So they, so they moved me to, um, to the neurosurgery ICU unit for, I was there for, um, it was about 12 hours, I want to say. And for the first, uh, uh, for the first, no, it was more than that. It was probably closer to 24. So for the first 12 hours, they literally came in and checked me every hour. They asked me the same questions. What's your name? Why are you here? What date? What's the date? Blah, blah, blah. Where are you? Why are you here? I was like, really? Do I have to answer these same questions over and over (laughs) over again? Um, And for like the first six hours, I could not move my right leg at all because they were concerned that it would, the incision would be impacted. So like literally I had to lay there with my right leg completely straight, couldn't move it at all. Um, So let's see, I was in ICU for probably about 24 hours. And then um, the next 24, I was just in regular step down room. So let's see, that happened Wednesday. Let's see, I was at Riverside by six o'clock on Wednesday. And I got out Saturday morning at like 10 or 11, I want to say. So, I mean, it wasn't long. And I only took two days off work, just the two days I was in the hospital. So you went back to work the following Monday. I did. <laughs> I mean, just from home, but yes, I did. Yeah. Overachiever. Um, I'm, I'm sure that your new place of employment was like, well, that's the excuse that we've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. If you don't like it here, just, just, just let us so, know. Right? Yeah, yeah. Be a grown up about it. You don't have to like, you know, I go know. down. <laughs> no. How did, how did your place of employment react? Um, they have been absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, they were just like, take your time. And, um, you know, I worked from home for probably six, seven weeks post-stroke and I just, I literally just did whatever I needed to do because I was, I mean, I was so exhausted. I mean, I would work for three, maybe four hours and then I would need a three or four hour nap, to be honest. I mean, it was, I didn't realize how exhausting and how exhausted I was. I mean, it was a lot. And, you know, my 22 year old daughter out of the mouths of babes, when I said to her, I was probably going to go back to work. She was like, mom, you absolutely are not going back to work. She's like, you just had a stroke. She's like, that's a major brain trauma. Like you get that, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yes, but I also have to pay for your school. (laughs) But I was like, what do you mean? I don't get it. Um, So no, they've been absolutely amazing. And um, everybody's been so supportive. I mean, you know, working in working for a healthcare company certainly helps, um, you know, so they just they're empathetic just by nature. And, um, you know, I I still joke today, like when I have issues finding words, I'm like, oh, that's stroke brain. I'm like, that's my excuse. (laughs) (laughs) I call it menopause. Um. (laughs) I I have a combination. <laughs> we got the, yeah, yeah. You've got the one-two punch happening yeah, right there. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but yeah. So I was in the hospital for you know two, and then um, so a lot of stuff happened while I was in the hospital. Obviously, um, 
a physical therapist came in, occupational therapist came in, speech therapist came in. Um, I did speech therapy was fine. I mean, I didn't have any impact there. Um, I could swallow everything just fine. So that was good. I was able to eat right away. Um, physical therapy. I, for the most part, I was completely fine. Not much residual impacts other than I have, and I still have a little bit of muscle weakness on my right side, not a ton. So I did do about six weeks of physical therapy to help with that. I did a little bit of occupational therapy because um, my right side still, you can see if I do this, my right side still oh, is a little not, slower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really impacted my handwriting, which I was very, very upset about. Like that's been the biggest impact because I love pen to paper. I'm such a huge, like I love to write, not type, right? So that's been a little that's probably been the hardest thing for me because I was like, wait a minute, like what the heck? So um, that's slowly but surely coming back, which I mean, again, if that's the worst thing that I had to deal with, that's totally fine. Um, And like I said, everything's slowly but surely coming back and um, I'm back to running everything. So, I mean, it's, it's all good. Um, I really can't complain. To be quite I honest. mean, no, it's, it's like, you know, cheers to a moment of gratitude for the fact that everyone, it seems that was in your circle in that moment responded perfectly exactly, and quickly and swiftly. And the, just even, even the estheticians client that was a physician, even though that person, I don't think, you know, administered much care to you at that point, but like the fact that there was a, a person right there that knew this is what's happening. It's really beautiful to, to know that in this, and I'm, I, this is, I'm waxing a little poetic or getting philosophical, a little philosophical, but like, you know, as divided as everybody is in this moment, like in this world, like when something happens to somebody, all of that falls away and you just help the person who is in need. And it just seems like that's what happened from, from soup to nuts. 110%. And, you know, it was an hour and 43 minutes from the time the event started till I was being wheeled up to ICU to recover. That is phenomenal. When the doctor came to see me in recovery, he said, basically, they hit the equivalent of a grand slam out of the park. He said, like, it could not have been, he said, it was amazing how everything played out. Every single, every single person that has read my chart since then says absolutely amazing what happened. Like, I am lucky to be here. Like, I'm lucky to be is in good a shape as I am. Um, A friend of my parents read my chart and he said, based on where that clot was, that that doctor got that clot and did it with such precision is absolutely amazing. So, I mean, I'm talking to one of my longest, bestest friends from like 40 years and it's the first time I'm getting the actual play-by-play of the event. And uh, I think that just hit me, you know, when, when you said that by all accounts, you're lucky to be here and we're young. And I feel like we're like, yeah, we're middle-aged cranky women, but like you have so much life and so much to live for and so much living to do. So what do you make of that hour and 43 minutes? Where are you at now? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, I struggle with it, to be honest, because I have actually... I've talked to a few people that have told me that they know people that have also suffered strokes since I've suffered a stroke and they have not been so lucky. They have not been so fortunate. So, you know, I'm having a little bit of survivor's guilt, but with that, I'm like, okay, so what can I do with it? So, okay. I'm not going to wallow in it. I'm just going to say, so why, why me? Why me? Okay. So, 
I'm a certified life coach, so I have the skills and the tools to help other people. So why not take what I've experienced and somehow help other people through their own trauma, through their own issues with survivor's guilt and help them manage through it and see what I can do to make this world a better place and to bring people a little bit of happiness and a little bit of joy where it's hard to see it when you're in it. Hmm. Did, did they offer you any counseling or any type of mental support when, when you checked out, they're just like, all right, go enjoy your pepperoni pizza from Donato's. See it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why yeah, I thought about that. I, that's funny. We'll get the vegan oh, girl. Like that, that will be a conversation for offline, but that's funny. Um, no. And I said, and I think that that is where we do um, such a disservice in this world especially in the United States of America, where there is so much that happens when you experience a medical trauma emotionally. I mean, let alone physically, but think about all the emotional stuff that goes along with it. And we don't ever, ever, ever provide anybody, any tools, anything that they can walk away with to help them manage through the emotional trauma of what they've just experienced. And it's so disheartening. And I'm, and I'm somebody who has a therapist. I'm somebody who has, who has a life coach. I'm somebody who is a life coach and I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And you, and you have the resources to, with which to find help. And I, I, I think that, that, yeah that we have done a huge disservice because these things happen. And when they literally just discharge you from the hospital, it's like, okay, good luck. Like you, you, what do you do with that? And, you know, you, I I feel, I I don't want to project, but I have tried, you know, over the last week when we scheduled this, like to try to put myself in your, in your shoes emotionally of like, what would my reaction be? Because, I tend to go right to, there is some, there's a big lesson to be learned here. And I'm going to shout from the pulpit of like, I'm going to help everybody. And I'm going to release the stigma of having this have happened to me. But then there's also the other side where it's like, I don't know that I'd want to put myself out there. Like, I don't know because is there like, are you extracting any meaning from it? Or are you just saying shit happens? No, I mean, I feel like I am, you know, it's, um, it's, it's still tough for me emotionally. I'll be quite honest. Right. I mean, I am, um, some days I'm like, it's tough for me emotionally because I'm like, I experienced it, but it's almost like it's over here. Like it happened, but it doesn't really feel like it happened. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it, it's, it's strange to me. Um, and I think where it hits me the most is when I tell somebody my story and they're like, oh my gosh, I know so-and-so had a stroke or my, my coworker's wife had a stroke. And I'm like, oh my God, is she okay? And they're like, no, she's just learning to walk again. She just took 50 steps with a walker and she's two years younger than you are. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa. Like, why is she not okay? And why am I okay? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, I guess, I, I guess I, I was put here for a reason and I was put in this position for a reason. And I feel like the reason that I was put in this position is because I'm meant to help other people. That's the only thing. That's the only reason I feel like I am sitting here today being able to talk to you that I get up out of bed every morning because that's my purpose. I meant to help somebody else. I meant to help one other person. And I'm hoping that we can do that with this. When you are working with, with your clients, your life coaching clients, and 
let's say that you're working with somebody who is um, dealing with survivor's guilt. And I don't know if you have any clients that fall into that bucket right now. Not right now, but Hopefully yeah. I will soon. Yeah. 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 And let's just say, okay, so let's just say it's, it's any client of yours that is going, you know, that you see a life coach when you feel stuck or right. when you, yep. when you are, um, you know, you're at a crossroads and you just need some unbiased thoughts on, on where to go. So using, using that me- metaphor of like being stuck, how do you then help your clients become unstuck. So, and and I think what I'm trying to get at is like, how have you employed all of your education on life coaching to start to become, to to heal and to get unstuck from this, from this like situation that you're in and move, move past it, but also use it? Yeah. Good question. So I think for me, it's really just looking at, it's really just recognizing that it is all around my thoughts that are causing my feelings that then cause my actions that then get me my results, right? So it's how can I step back and objectively look at my thoughts and why am I having that thought? Like, why, like, why is that particular thought coming up for me right now? I'm not saying it's a bad thought or it's the wrong thought, but why is that particular thought coming up for me right now? And then how is that making me feel? Is it making me feel angry? Is it making me feel sad? Like, you know, when I think, why did this happen to me? Does that make you angry? Sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's so, okay. I mean, so in those moments where you feel angry uh, about it, then at that point, you've got your feeling, you know, you've got the situation you're, you are stewing on this. You, then you've got the feeling. It makes me feel angry mm-hmm. that this happened to me. And then what is your next step of like, okay, what am I going to do with that anger? Or how can I turn that anger into advocacy? Like what, what's the next step once you've identified that feeling? Well, so I think in the moment, I think it's just identifying what actions am I taking just out of full reaction from the anger. And a lot of times it's, you know, not taking care of myself. It's not exercising. It's, it's overeating. It's over drinking. It's over doom scrolling on social media. It's, you know, laying in bed and, you know, not just not taking care of myself And then the action I'm getting is I'm just wallowing. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just, I'm not creating anything. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but then I can say, okay, so what, what do I want to get from that anger? Right. How do I want that anger to manifest itself into something that's actually uh, productive? Right. So then I'm like, okay, no, this is not, no, I'm not going to wallow in self-pity. I'm going to actually do something with it, right? So how can I actually serve others from this tragedy that happened to me? How can I take this situation? How can I serve others? I can serve others by getting my story out there. I can serve others by getting over myself and recording a few videos and putting myself out there, making myself vulnerable. And that's what you did like a week and a half or so ago. And it was... It was what, three and a half minutes, like I said, maybe at the most. And, and it was just you kind of telling the story. Did you, when you hit publish, did you go, oh shit, (laughs) uh, it's out there. And now, yeah, because there are still a lot of people, as I discovered, just sort of, you know, in my own doom scrolling, but coming across that video, there were some people that just still didn't even know that that had happened to you. And, and then those of us that knew it had happened were hearing the play-by-play for the first time. And it, it made me scared for you when I watched it, you know, scared enough for me to go, let's talk more about it. <laughs> <laughs> you got an hour? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, um, it brings up all kinds of emotions for me. Um, and some of them I handle well, some of them I don't, um, you know, uh, and I still, I still have, so one of the things I didn't touch on that I'll just touch on briefly now is that, um, 
because they aren't exactly sure what caused the stroke, they have decided to insert a loop recorder um, to monitor my heart for AFib. So that's been a whole other traumatizing event for me because they inserted it once about a week after the stroke. And the woman who did it didn't insert it correctly. So it was in for three days and then I had to go and they actually had to push it out. Oh my God. Then I had to go back again, but I put it off until like middle of August. So it was convenient for me. (laughs) (laughs) And then they inserted it again. And um, I still get very angry about it because I can feel it. And it's very irritating to me. And sometimes I can feel it more than other times. And I get very angry about it. Can I ask a dumb question? Like, how do they, uh, like, how do they, where, where do they insert it? How do they insert it? So it is about seven vertebrae down. Okay. So you're, you're kind of pointing to like your left chest above your heart. It's right above my heart. Exactly. So it's like seven vertebrae down, I want to say. So did they cut you open up there? Yeah, they just make a small incision. And then it's a device that's about, I don't know. Okay. A couple yay inches. Big. Yay big. <laughs> like an old beeper. From- <laughs> yeah. yeah well, not quite that big, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they just literally insert it under the skin. Okay. And then they put steri strips over it and let it heal. And it, and it, I have a cell phone, I have a Samsung cell phone upstairs on my nightstand that monitors it. And, um, and I get a phone at, well, they've stopped calling me now, but when I first started running again, every time I went for a run, I would get a call and they would be like, we noticed your heart rate was elevated yesterday between nine and nine 30 in the morning. I'm like, yes, I was out for a run. Thanks. So it's actually somebody calling you. Yeah. I'm like, yes, I know I'm out of shape. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, no one needs that. <laughs> no one needs that. Thanks for the reminder. Uh, hey, slow poke. Just checking. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I, it's interesting because most of the time anymore, I forget about it, but then it's like every once in a while, it just really bothers me and I can feel it. And I just get, and I say, I'm like, I just want this stupid thing out of me. Yeah. Two questions. How long do you have to wear it? And then two, have you had any AFib Mm-mm. situations? Not as far as I know. I mean, I'm assuming they would have called me if I did. Yeah. I mean, they call you when you go out for a run. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And I don't know. So I go back in January for a follow-up at the stroke clinic. And when I go back for my follow-up, I'm going to ask him if he has enough data and if we can schedule a removal of the the little recorder because I've had enough of it. (laughs) Well, and it's, and it's a daily reminder of what happened and what, potential limitations you may carry. And is that how you view it? It's just like this little nagging, like this device. If I try to do anything that resembles, you know, my former life as a runner, it's going to call me and be like, what are you doing? It's just really just annoying. And it's just like, I, it's just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just annoying. What other changes have you taken upon yourself? So we've talked a little bit about kind of the emotional Mm -hmm. work that you're doing. You see a therapist, you have a coach, like a life coach, you yourself have been employing the tactics and the strategies that you use for the people that you work with. Um, What other changes have you empowered yourself with to, to help you? Like whether it is a dietary change or a food change or exercising more? What, what are you kind of doing on that side of the, of the coin? I just have been, I'm trying just to move more and that's how I'm just looking at it. Just moving more. I'm not calling it ex, I'm not calling it an exercise program. I'm not calling it a diet change. I'm just trying to move more and eat better. That's it. And that, that's it. And do I succeed every day? Hell no. <laughs> the last three days have not been very good to me, but that's okay. Cause tomorrow is a new day. And, you know, um, so I just, you know, I just really am trying. And that's where I say, I think the emotional side of things get to me and I start to sort of feel sorry for myself. And 
I don't do the things that I should do where that's concerned, but you know, I'm like, it's only been five months. It's fine. Like it's, you know, give yourself a little bit of grace, a little bit of compassion and you know, you'll get there. Well, and there's no, they did not, they did not discharge you with a plan Mm -mm. to prohibit something like this from happening again. They didn't discharge you with, it doesn't even sound like they really discharged you with any advice. So everything that you've been doing or trying has just been self-researched and self-discovery. Are you, are, have you reached out to, I don't know, I, I, I assume that there are support groups and, you know, these American Stroke Association or whatever the bar, have you, what resources have you found that have helped you? I, I haven't. I mean, cause it's, oh, I don't even know how to explain it because to be honest with you, I feel fine for the most part. And to be honest, it's like it happened and it's so compartmentalized that most days of the week, I don't even really think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was this hour and 43 minutes yeah. that, that turned into like two and a half days in the hospital, but like it was this hour and 43 minute episode Yes, that could have gone either way. Right. Thankfully it went the, the right way. Right. But it was, in, somebody asked me, and I forget who, somebody asked me that while things were happening, did I ever, like, was I ever scared? Was I scared? Mm-hmm. And I said, to be, no, I said, because I never thought for a moment that I was not going to come out of there perfectly okay. That might have been extremely arrogant of me or extremely naive of me. But to be honest with you, I never thought for one second I was not going to walk out of that thing perfectly okay. What has it done, if anything, to your faith? And I say that you and I, mm. heart, old school Catholic, you know. Catholic school kids, uh, elementary school, high school, um, you know, you've college for me. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. You went to, you went to, I went to a Lutheran university. university. Um, so what, if anything, has it done with, to your faith? Um, oh, you know, I do say that I did have a guardian angel on my shoulder that day. And I do firmly believe that, but Oh, you know, I mean, I definitely believe in a higher being or in the universe, putting people where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. Because I do believe that that's absolutely what happened that day. The fact that that doctor happened to be at Riverside at that particular moment when I needed him to be there. I mean, come on. That doesn't just happen. So I feel like It definitely things happen the way that they were supposed to happen. Um, who orchestrates that? I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Any parting words of advice for anybody who is struggling with anything? I mean, you know, whether it is a, a this life altering moment that happened to you. Some would say, I know that you struggle with that. Some days it feels like it was a life altering moment. Other days you, it was like a really odd couple of hours, Um, (laughs) which Lord knows I had a lot of those in college um, (laughs) that I also have chosen to block for various reasons. (laughs) But but in, in, in all seriousness, you know, the, this show is called, I could never do that. And it really is about how do you take something that the day before this happened on June 14th, you probably would have said, Oh, (laughs) I could never handle something like that happening at the spur of the moment. And now you're five months on and, and you're living with it. So any, any advice or parting thoughts in that area? Yeah, you know, we as human beings are stronger than we think we are. And a lot of it just starts with our mind. We have all the answers that we need within us. 
So whether or not we choose can hear them. What are those voices saying to you these days? that I am very fortunate and I am very grateful. And you are, for the record, a wonderful friend, a wonderful spouse, a wonderful mom, a wonderful employee. That healthcare company can't get rid of you quite yet. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> But you know, like what, what I think, and thank you for that. Like we are way more powerful than we think we are. We are. I, I, I think, yes, I agree with you that the answers to almost any dilemma that we're in, in life are in our body. Like we yeah. know, we know the answer. We do. The Delta is going from that guttural feeling that we sometimes have of like what to do. The Delta is like, okay, then taking that action to just whatever it is, that first step. And I, I, I think back, you know, you and I, uh, we got together earlier this year. Cause I happened to be in Columbus and it was right before I had my stroke. Actually, it, literally it was. Cause it, it, I think I got, I think it was like late April when I was there. So it was a few weeks before. And, um, and it was at the time you were still contemplating, you were in the interview process for this new job and you were still contemplating whether you should have left your previous job of what, Lisa, 25 years, like you 27, 27 years at a job, like straight up college and, yeah. and beyond yeah. and a job that you were very comfortable with a job that you had a lot of seniority and flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that that was a comfortable position to be in, to want to take a leap. And then at the same time, you're going through schooling, you're going through like life coach schooling because you're for the first time, you're like, you're, you're being very called to this. And I will tell you that there was something different about you that, that night. And I, and I'm, I'm recognizing this in hindsight now because it, and it was, you know, any other time it was just you and I having a glass of wine, but like that night you were on fire with like passion for the potential of this new job. You were on fire for the potential of this life coaching gig, like all signs pointed to like life is good. And I bring that up to say like, my wish for you is that like, that that passion remains and maybe it's even higher now because you had this experience. Is it? I think so. Some days it gets dull just because, just because, but yes, I feel, I feel like in the last week and a half, it's been renewed. My passion has definitely been renewed. And I feel like that's why I needed to get my story out there was because I needed the passion to be renewed and I needed to relight the fire. Where can people reach out to you, whether they just want to talk or connect with you on social, um, you know, just even whatever in, in any capacity. Sure. So um, on Facebook and Instagram, it's Lisa Diamond Coaching LLC, and, or they can email me at lifecoachlisa. 23 at gmail.com. Okay. And I'll put that in the show notes. Life coach, Lisa, 23 at Gmail. Yep. Sweet. My friend, I love you. I love you too. Care bear. I mean, <laughs> Smurf and care bear. <laughs> we take ourselves very seriously. <laughs> we totally do. <laughs> and I will end it how we started it. And that is just a little toast to life, friendship, 
love, trust. Look at me. I'm holding like a thimble of a wine. Glass. <laughs> what is that? It's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's like a specimen cup. It's a shot wine. glass. <laughs> it basically <laughs> I'm very classy. I'm very classy. I love it. <laughs> uh, okay. All right, girl. Let's go out there and run some half marathons, shall we? I love it. I would love to. I have a goal next year. You got it. Thanks so much for listening. Again, you can reach out to Lisa at Lisa Diamond Coaching LLC on Facebook and Instagram or shoot her an email, lifecoachlisa23 at gmail.com. Thank you, Lisa, and thank you for supporting this independent podcast. You can support this show with the smallest of donations through Buy Me a Coffee. And believe me when I say a little does go a long way. I'll make sure to share that link in the show notes along with all of the other resources from today's show. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on I Could Never Do That.